Fireflies Unite with Kia, your weekly podcast from the perspective of individuals thriving with a mental illness. We are normalizing the conversation about mental health within communities of color to foster mental wellness and empowerment. Welcome to the Fireflies Unite podcast, where our mission is to bring light into darkness by sharing the stories of those thriving with a mental illness. I cannot believe it's been 10 weeks since I've started the podcast, just because I had no idea that the brand would take off the way that it has taken off. I cannot take credit for it. I appreciate want to thank you all for just tuning in week after week for sharing the podcast um the messages that i've been getting uh, it's just it's so humbling if i'm gonna be honest with y'all i had a moment of just crying i was just breaking down because i was breaking down because some of you know some of you guys don't realize how far i've come and i know i talk about my experience of dealing with, you know, of living with a mental illness, but it was so hard, you know, from hitting rock bottom and being in the darkest place of my life. I just can't believe that I'm on the other side. Now, does that mean that everything is perfect? Absolutely not. Um, Does that mean I have it all together? Absolutely not. But my mindset has completely shifted and I am a new person. I'm so proud of my growth and my transformation And I just really hope that my story and the way that I live my life inspires someone to work on their healing. Um, That doesn't mean that, you know, it will go away or that I may not have another episode of depression. But I would say that I'm much more equipped because I have the tools and the resources to help me get through it. And I also have a great support system. And so today... We are going to talk about the mental illness of schizophrenia. That is not one we have talked about on the podcast. We usually talk a lot about generalized anxiety disorder or major depression. We haven't gotten into other mental illnesses such as borderline personality disorder and schizophrenia. And so I really am working on finding more stories So we can talk about other mental illnesses that people of color also deal with. And so today I have the pleasure of speaking with an amazing life coach and self-care strategist, Letitia Carr. She is really working hard in helping people to live their best and most fulfilling lives. She has worked in the mental health field and she also has a master's degree in health counseling. And Letitia has had the opportunity to work with with an assortment of people as they develop and learn effective coping strategies for their day-to-day life. And she has really helped people transform. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. She has transferred her education and the skills she has developed professionally to her approaching program for people who are ready to get unstuck and chase their dreams. And I completely love that because Letitia is all about helping people be the best that they can be. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's really true because a lot of people are out here fronting for the gram and for likes and trying to 
keep up with the Joneses. But by actually working on yourself, there's so much more that you will be able to experience a completely a fulfilling life. And Letitia, she even created the State of Our 20s School and Life Edition. It's a day-long conference that focused on teaching subjects not taught in school, including creating opportunities, entrepreneurship, and building meaningful relationships as well as self-care in the city. It's a brunch series that focus on sharing tips and tools for self-care and well-being to the busy city dwellers. And so without further ado, I want to welcome Miss Letitia Carr, and she also goes by the name of Tish. So welcome, Tish, to the Fireflies Unite podcast, where we share the stories of those thriving with the mental illness in communities of color. So when you reached out to me on social media, I was really, really excited to get you on the podcast because your story provides a different perspective than we normally had on the podcast with you sharing, you're going to share your story of what it was growing like, what it was growing up with having a parent who battled schizophrenia. For those who do not know what schizophrenia is, it is a very chronic and severe mental disorder that affects how a person thinks, feels, and behaves. People with schizophrenia have a difficult time distinguishing between what's real and what's imaginary. So schizophrenia is one of the mental disorders most commonly stereotyped and discriminated against uh, because those people who experience this illness, they refer to as crazy or unstable. Um, And it makes it really challenging for someone who has this illness to open up to family members or coworkers. And actually, according to a study on race um, and the risk of schizophrenia, it was found that African-Americans are about three more times likely than whites to be diagnosed with schizophrenia. So I wanted to speak with you, Tish, about was mental health something that was talked about in your house growing up? Um, And did you ever have any stigmas associated with mental health? So yes and no. So um, I I always tell people that like my childhood is from my perspective and not necessarily the truth of what actually happened, if that makes sense, or like how Mm -hmm. other people would interpret. Um, But I remember as a kid, it, it was referred to as like being sick, like your mom is sick. It wasn't like called anything else really that I can recall. Um, but just that my mom was sick. And so that's all I can really remember as far as like those conversations and like, you know, like your mom has to go to the hospital because she's sick or like, um, you know, uh, Paula is not on her medications and that kind of thing. Like those kind of conversations happen. But I don't think, number one, I didn't even know what my mom's diagnosis truly was until I was an adult and I was in college. And she had, at at that point, she had to go to the hospital for something. Um, and so all my life, I grew up hearing, like, bipolar disorder, right? Like, that was, like, bipolar. But until I was in college and I was receiving her paperwork and, like, the actual diagnosis and things like that. And at that point, I had taken psychology. Well, my, my bachelor's degree is in psychology. Um, and I, you know, did my master's in mental health counseling and that kind of stuff. So I had an understanding of mental health disorders from like that perspective too. So that's when I really got to understand it and really it kind of clicked on like what really was going on because my understanding of mental health illnesses was a little bit skewed because of the 
initial diagnosis that she she had, you know, and that that kind of just followed her along for a while. Um, hopefully that makes sense. But because some a lot of people get misdiagnosed or they have different diagnoses and some show up in a different way at different times in their lives and, and that kind of thing. So um, I think that's what happened, at least from my, like, using my deductive reasoning skills, you know, between what I know from childhood and what I know now as an adult um, and with the education that I have. So it was discussed. It wasn't, like, brushed under the rug kind of thing, but it wasn't, like, you know, the terminology wasn't totally used either. But I don't think that was by any, like, fault of anybody. It just, how do you explain to a kid, you know, what's, what a mental illness is, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes that makes complete sense. Can you share what it was like, you know, being raised or in the household with your mom as she battled this mental illness? What was her behaviors like? Did it make you feel uncomfortable? Can you go into more detail about how her experience or how her mental illness impacted you, whether good or bad? So, um, so first, I was raised by my grandmother and my aunt, and my mom was also in the house on and off, like growing up. So I was mostly raised by my my grandmother and my aunt. Um, but you know, my mom's mental illness impacted it, mental illness in general impacts the whole family and like the whole community, and not just that one person, right? And I think that's something that people take for granted, whether you're talking about schizophrenia or you're talking about um, depression or um, bipolar disorder, whatever, it's, it really impacts everybody in the surrounding area. So growing up, my mom would kind of go through these phases. She would be taking her medication, and it, it was like almost like totally different people, right? Like when my mom is my mom is medicated, she's it, she is totally a different person than when she's unmedicated, and it's very like a very distinct difference um, between the two. So there was times where she was medicated and, you know, we would do stuff together. My mom likes to shop a lot, no matter what. So those kind of things we would do. But then when she was unmedicated, it was just a lot of chaos, a lot (laughs) that I remember. Um, I remember, like, sometimes, like, our rooms were next to each other um, at one point or, yeah, for, like, a long time. Our rooms were next to each other, and she would just be up all night, like, in, like, kind of a manic um, hearing voices state. And, like, she would just, you know, yell through the night and, like, laugh and, like, just make – she would be so loud. That's just all I remember, just being, like, really loud, laughing, slamming doors, just up all night long. And so, mind you, I'm a child, so I, like, have to go to school. So I would get frustrated. It wasn't, like – I would just get frustrated, especially when I was about, like, a teenager and that that was going on. I would just get really, really frustrated um, cause I'm like, I'm trying to sleep. So then I'm like, yelling, like, can you be quiet? I'm, I'm trying to sleep. Like, and so it was a lot of that kind of chaos of like, she's hearing voices and responding to voices and loudly, like, not like just like laughing and talking to herself and like all of these different kind of things. And so that was really probably one of the harder things as far as like, like kind of that chaos that it caused in the house. So so obviously it wasn't just impacting me, it impacts my grandma, it impacts my aunt, the way she talks to us, like all of those kind of things. And, I, and I'm and i saying this in present tense because it's still a thing, right? It's still, my aunt still lives in the house with her. She's still impacted by the way my mom responds to her voices and um, how she treats people because of it and the things that she does in the community um, and those kind of things. So, I mean, we were actually just talking about that too. There's times like, 
the cops getting called to the house because of something she did or she was being unsafe. Um, and I would have to go to my neighbor's house and they would like um, EP her. And so for, for those who are listening, that don't know what that means. It's um, an emergency petition. Um, and in West Virginia, it's not mental health workers that come out to do the EP. It's the cops, right? So the cops show up to your house, literally would put her in handcuffs and take her to go get a mental health evaluation and that kind of stuff. And so to keep me out of the way and to protect me, I always, you know, my grandmother, my aunt, whoever would just take me over to my next door neighbor's house. Um, when that kind of stuff would be going on. So it was just like chaos. Really, literally, that's the, the best way to explain it. Um, so I always talk to people like, imagine the chaos, you know, you feel on the outside of it, like the chaos I felt. I can only imagine what's going on in her head. Like I feel all this chaos on the outside of just the reaction of what she's having going on in her mind constantly. So I try to look at it from that perspective that like, I know I feel this way about what's happening around me, but she's dealing with this in her mind continually, constantly, and has been for over 30 years. So, because, yeah, I'm 28, almost 29. She's been diagnosed since um, the mid-80s. So this has been, like, over 30 years. Wow, yeah, that is important for because people tend to limit uh, mental illness, too. They'll just say, like, it's just, the person, I'll use example, well, for people who are not in D.C., they wouldn't know what Georgia Avenue is. But sometimes I would use the the example of like, oh, they just think it's a person walking down Georgia Avenue talking to themselves. But I always say that it also can include, you know, high functioning people. But then going back to your mom, like you said, when she's medicated, she's a completely different person. She's stable. I'm pretty sure you guys can have conversations. She's much more balanced. And I put normal in air quotes because I, I like to use that word with a grain of salt because I'm like, normal is subjective. But I'm I'm glad that you shared that. And were you embarrassed ever growing up or were you scared or confused? I don't think I was ever scared. I don't ever, I don't think I've ever been scared. I think more afraid of like her getting in, getting herself into something or getting hurt, like more afraid for her than like for myself by any means. Um, Cause I know my mom, like, right. So, but I was more afraid of like behaviors that she did maybe in the community or like maybe somebody didn't know her. Like think about using your example of like the people who you see like out on the streets, like talking to themselves and how people react to them and like that kind of stuff, like being afraid for her safety Yes, but being afraid for myself or my safety, no, not that I ever remember. But um, confused, yes. Angry, yes. Embarrassed, I guess embarrassed, yes, in a way, but more like out of like this, it felt unfair to me that I didn't get a chance to have like a relationship with my mother like other people had, you know? So that was more of like kind of the feelings that I had growing up. But confused, yeah, I didn't. I just kind of didn't understand. Like, my confusion was more like, why don't she just take her medication, right? Like, and and so I'm processing this from like a child's mind. So it's like, why is she, why don't she just take her medication? I don't understand. She's so much better when she just takes her medication. And so it, and that's still a thing. I still wonder that sometimes. But I also now realize like that her what is going on in her head like it could be that she misses the voices and that's why she stopped taking it or something or 
maybe mm-hmm. something there's always these different factors of what happens like there's been many times that she has been medicated and then something happened that was like kind of out of our control like one time it was like most recently it was like an insurance issue the insurance stopped covering but yeah the insurance stopped covering the medication that she was prescribed and then the medication was like $1200 a month or something really ridiculous so you know, it's like all these different factors that go into it that now that I'm an adult, I can process. But as a child, it was kind of like, I don't understand why she don't just take her medication. Like, I don't understand why she can't just, like, get it together. So that kind of confusion. What about, like, having friends? Were you ever, did your friends ever question anything when you were growing up? Or was, like, you tried, or was it, like, something you tried to hide how was it for you, like, just interacting or, like, were you able to have sleepovers in your house or were you able to go out and try to live, I guess, again, a quote-unquote normal life as a kid? Um, yeah. So, actually, the funny thing is, one, is my mom's sickness, illness <laughs> cannot be hidden. Like, when she's not doing well, it's very clear she's not doing well. So, that that was, like, you can't really hide that. Sorry. And, actually me saying all that was kind of hard because my aunt was sitting behind me and I don't want her to feel away. So that's a whole other thing of how it impacts family, right? Because she raised me, but she raised me, my grandmother raised me and they did the best that they could. But I don't want her to feel like that they did something wrong Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. So me just saying all of that, that I just said was like kind of hard for me. I mean, it feels good now she knows, but um, (laughs) at the same time, it was like, oh, I was uncomfortable saying it, but also trying to be really, you know, honest and transparent. But your question was about friends. My friends, my closest friends, like, they all knew about my mom. And, like, I don't – or, like, about my mom's illness. I don't really recall any of my real friends. I'll put it that way. Any of my real friends ever being, like, um, mean about it, for lack of a better term. There was definitely kids in my neighborhood that were, like, mean. They used to call my mom, like, Crazy Paula. And they would be like, oh, you're Crazy Paula's daughter and that kind of stuff. And those were my friends. And I was – as a child, I always had a lot of, I've always had really good discernment about who's a real friend and who's not. But my real friends, I would say, as a child, like, I never had that issue with them. When my mom was, like I said, my mom didn't always live in my house. Like, she would, you know, get her own place when she was doing well and that kind of stuff. It was kind of like in those times where she was unmedicated and not doing well is when she was home for you know, living in the home with me. So that was kind of on and off. So I had sleepovers. People came over all the time. Once I got older and, you know, my mom would be unmedicated and still have those kind of issues, like, by that point, a lot of my friends already understood and they didn't care. They, like, love my mom. <laughs> like, I would be upset and frustrated and they would just think it was funny or, like, just go on, you know, they didn't really care that much. There, But there definitely was, like, people in my, like, community or, like, neighborhood, like, kids at school and stuff like that that would say stuff like that, like, oh, that's crazy Paula's daughter or things like that that was just mean and hurtful. But I never, ever considered those people friends, so I kind of took it, like, whatever. But I do remember, like, dating and that kind of stuff. I, like, never wanted to bring, like, a guy home if my mom was, like, not doing. Well, I never wanted to bring anybody home anyway, really. But <laughs> um, that was, like, one of the big factors is, like, okay, how do I explain explain this to somebody that I'm dating or something that – Like, my mom's not like yours or, you know, that kind of thing. And what I actually learned through, like, just growing up, I realized that, like, I don't really know anybody who has perfect parents. And everybody's family has some kind of, like, you know, has things going on and, like, the things that they try to hide or embarrassed of. And, like, um, not to say that was comforting, but it was, like, 
okay, you're not alone. Like, you know, my best friend, I love her mom to death, and she and her mom would always have these arguments and those kind of things. So I'm like, okay, it's not like I'm it's, – it's different, but everybody has something, you know, mm-hmm. has, has families that, you know, are kind of like the taboo thing or, you know, like – or something that they don't get along with the parent or something like that. So – that was that was okay. I even had like cousins come and live with me and stuff like that, and my mom would be here, and I'm like, I don't know why y'all stay here. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> and they were like, it's fine. And, and it also what it does by you sharing that it like provides it with uh, it normalizing it. Like your mom is a person at the end of the day, despite mm-hmm. her having a mental illness, she still has feelings and emotions and hopes and dreams and aspirations she's a mom but it's just even if for instance let's say if we removed uh any parent from not having a mental illness and they had diabetes well yeah the Mm -hmm. illnesses are different but they both require medication to help them to help it be managed and so that's how I like to look at it because people tend to like put mental illness in like this cat it is a category of its own but they push it away and it kind of isolate because we're more accepting in society of what illnesses we deem as quote unquote normal and what's not so by just sharing that it just shows that yeah i you know my grandmother and my aunt did the very best that they could to help, you know, when I was growing, to help raise me. And I, I turned out, I turned out fantastic. And even with that time, when you were in all of that, did you ever receive any type of counseling or anything while you were growing up to help you kind of manage your emotions and process everything that was happening? I didn't. And I think that's the, one of the things that I um, now in adulthood wish I had, but also you have to remember, okay, there's a couple of factors that go along with that, right? Because my grandmother was raising me. So I think, I think my aunt told me before that they thought about it, but they just kind of didn't know how to move forward with it. There was also kind of like that stigma of like the concern of like, you know, oh, they're going to think Tish is in an unsafe environment um, or something like that. You know what I mean? So it was like, it, it was kind of like weighing the risk factors of like, okay, well, they think she's in an unsafe environment and try to take her away from the home um, and those kind of things. So when I tell you it's chaotic, like I, I don't have the right kind of words <laughs> to explain it, but it was a lot of chaos. It was a lot of like yelling and stuff. Like there is just so many different, it was more than just that. It was, it's more than just the voices. It's also like command voices, right? And if anybody knows anything about schizophrenia, there's different types of schizophrenia. And some people have command voices that the voices tell them things to do, right? And they, and my mom has command voices. And I only know that because I have <laughs> taken the time to educate myself on the subject, but you know, her voices tell her to do things and her voices tell her to like say things and like you know, like, it's, like, totally a different person. So it's, like, she might have, her voices might tell her to, like, um, take a knife downtown or something like that. And it would be things like that that would happen. And that's how, like, the police would get involved and 
all of this, and our mental health system is just so broken that, like, when people really truly need help, it's so hard to get them help until they're a danger to themselves and others. And I can understand why that policy is in place, but at the same time, when you're in a family and you can see the signs and symptoms of someone not being well or not doing well, it's really, really frustrating because you can't get them that, like, you can't get them that help that they need if they're unwilling to do it. And my mom was always unwilling to <laughs> to do those kind of things. So it was always that always that kind of struggle in the household. Yeah, so I, I feel like I kind of got off track, but I did want to say that, that it was like, you know, it's it's a it's a type of thing that you can't really explain to other people unless they like really were there too or they they spent time working in the mental health field or like working with people who have mental illness like to 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 see like how much it impacts everything around you like not just me not just my family but my neighbors were impacted my like community as a whole is like impacted by by the illness but then there's also this like really difficult it's really difficult to get people um the supports that they need sometimes so when you talk about with your mom and having command voices that's something new that i was not aware of or the different types of voices like i know a bit about schizophrenia and people hearing voices and a big thing is Or I didn't know that, for instance, someone just hearing voices and telling them to not just do something, but making them believe something like someone's, Mm -hmm. whether it's like someone's talking about you or making them, again, believe things that are not really there. Because I remember before when I was in the the, uh, partial hospitalization program, this was after I was discharged from the inpatient and I was starting my recovery after my suicide attempt. I remember being in the group and asking the therapist and I said well how do you know the difference between if a person is hearing a voice or if it's just like yourself like for instance like if you're reading to yourself and you if you're reading to yourself of course you hear a voice it's yourself reading but I was like how do you differentiate the two and one of the things that she said to me was when a person is hearing a voice it's not their own. It's someone else's mm-hmm. voice. And so do you have any knowledge or background on that to try to elaborate for someone else who may not actually understand it? I do. I have I actually have a lot. Um, so just for an example, like you were saying, like the the voices not being their own, sometimes like with my mom particularly, sometimes she will even speak in a different voice. Like it's like it's like she responds to the voice and the voice that it's saying it like or she'll say the name of a voice like I I haven't really figured that out like I I just it's just something that I noticed it's not like something that the doctor said or anything it's like she'll always say Paul or Pete right it's like she like the voices have names so I think the voices and I think the voices she hears are male voices um, or at least two of them are male voices and so I, I do know that that for her is seems from the outside again I don't know what actually is happening in her mind but from the outside it seems like because she'll respond and like say the name Pete or something like that like yeah Pete and like she says it kind of repeatedly so it's like okay like maybe the voices she's hearing and that's just again me using my like deductive reasoning like maybe the voices she's hearing are male voices because she responds to them with male names and as far as like believing things that aren't true right like 
you, the voices having you believe things that are not true. It's almost like created, for my mom, it's almost created like a whole different reality because I'm my mother's only child, the only child she's ever birthed. But in her mind, she has like lots and lots and lots of children. And to the point that she buys clothes and buys food and buys things for all these other children, and she'll say things like, they have my, the Russians have my kids kidnapped, um, or they have my kids kidnapped in Harper's Ferry by the river, like, and it's all these, like, these beliefs that she truly believes are true. Like, she has to go protect her children. And, like, and these are kind of fairly new, not new, these haven't always been a thing. Like, um, growing up, all the different children wasn't a thing until I was probably maybe, like, a teenager, like, a little later in life, uh, maybe closer to college when I, like, had grown up. Um, but then she would say, oh, that's my other daughter. She doesn't even call me Tish or Letitia. She calls me um, Avani, <laughs> she calls me today. I, I'm like I told you before we got on here. Um, I'm actually at home <laughs> coming to visit her, and she was like, "What? A, what? What is your name? Jo- Josiah or something? I forgot what she called me, but like she has all these different names for different people. Sometimes I joke with people. I'm like, sometimes I think she, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, is what she calls me because she calls me Avani when I'm in a really good mood. When I show up, and when I'm not in a good mood, <laughs> and so like. <laughs> It's like at this point, it's kind of like you learn to just like live with it and just like I'll be like, okay, like, well, Vani needs some food. Like, or do you want to go get some food? Because she calls like Avani and Vani. I'll be like, well, Vani is hungry. So <laughs> let's go get something to eat. So it's like those kind of things that, and I, I really do think my mom has a really complicated case or complicated um, illness. I think there's a lot of layers to it that the doctors and therapists and that kind of stuff have never really addressed. And it's just because I have an education background in it. Now I kind of see things or in a work perspective of it. um, I kind of see things from a different perspective, but to also kind of elaborate on what you were saying, I've worked in mental health. I worked in mental health residential programs and crisis programs for three years. I no longer do that now, but I worked with a lot of people who had schizophrenia. Their families had either, like, disowned them or stopped talking with them. But because of those, like, command voices and because the voices would tell them to do stuff to their kids or do stuff to their family members and, like, for protective sake, they would, like, the families would kind of, like, be done with them. And so it's it's a lot of that, and I don't think people consider those kind of things a lot of times when we're talking about mental illness and we're talking about like you said, you know, we talk about depression, we talk about anxiety, and we talk about kind of those those kind of things, but never really like, especially in the black community, the the these severe like thought disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk a lot about disorders um, and the severity of mood disorders, but um, I don't hear a lot of conversation about the severity of the thought disorders and how those impact people. And also, I re- recognize that there are a lot of people who have schizophrenia, but it's going to be really hard to get them on a podcast to talk about it. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like they're because of the nature of the, the nature of um, the illness. So yeah, I definitely, I could go on and on on about like examples of the, those different kind of like command voices or like there's even like catatonic schizophrenia where people, people will just freeze up and a spot, like they'll just stop moving. And that's a whole different, you know, kind of, kind of schizophrenia but that's also a different that's also a version of schizophrenia um i've seen that in clients that i used to work with only one and it was really really scary to me um because i was like he he just stopped and like would not move for like two hours like just frozen in the same 
same position. Um, and it may not have been two hours. It felt like two hours to me. It was a long time for someone to be in the same position. But, yeah, there's it's so complex. That's the, that's the word I'm looking for. Like um, mental, mental illnesses and mental um, health disorders and those kind of things are just so complex. They're hard to really pinpoint because everybody's situation is going to be different. Yeah, everyone's situation is different. That's why I always say mental illness or mental health challenges, it really is a case-by-case basis. So you can't really compare one person's situation to the next because a person can experience depression or anxiety and have different symptoms. And so, Mm -hmm. and you know, like you said, there are people who deal with schizophrenia, but to get them to talk about it, it would be very challenging because, again, someone's going to call them crazy. And so that's why one of the things that I I really want to move away from when we say things like that, or even using mental diagnoses as adjectives, like the weather is bipolar or my OCD is kicking in, especially if you don't, you haven't even been diagnosed and you're using those words as adjectives when they're actually uh, diagnoses and people really struggle with those. And it, (laughs) It can be, or sometimes if people, I know I used to get really, really triggered (laughs) when people would use like sadness as a, I mean, depression as a synonym for sadness. And I would be like, no, it's not the same. I mean, even though we know that people who are experiencing depression, they will, they will experience sadness, but I try to tell them it's not just the blues It's much more complex than you think. But even going back when we're talking about schizophrenia or even like um, personality disorders. And so that's one of the things that I really pride myself on with just taking the leap of faith and doing what God has placed in my heart with this podcast, because I'm, I listen to a lot of podcasts and even the podcasts that are talking about mental health. I haven't really heard a podcast yet, especially of color talking about, you know, borderline personality disorder or schizophrenia. And those are the things that I really want to dive into. No, that's not my personal struggle, but there are people of color who deal with that. And to see that they can still live a very fulfilling life. But then again, it goes back to someone receiving treatment because again, it's a person has to be willing to get the treatment. You know, I share all the time with my story that when I, when the police officers broke into the window and I was, I remember some things. I don't remember everything because I was incoherent. They, I remember them saying I was a threat to myself and that I needed to go to the hospital. And I remember getting to the hospital. And when I got a evaluation by the psychiatrist, I remember him saying, you have two options. You can check yourself in or we're going to check you in. Like we're going to commit you because you are not stable. And I did commit myself because I I knew that that would give me more control over the process. But if uh, there are instances where, like you said, where people, where family members have to force their family members to be committed not because they love them because they want the best for them. But even going back to when you're talking about your mom has you, I know you said that you were raised by your aunt and your grandma and your mom would be in and out depending on where she was mentally. 
But did she ever have moments in her life where like she was able to hold a job stable, uh, hold a job and, you know, kind of live in an apartment or a house? Has she had those moments in her life where those things were possible for her? Let me tell you about my brilliant mother. My mother is brilliant. And one of the things I wanted to just, before I go into how brilliant my mom is, um, (laughs) I want to just go back to, like, the words being triggering and using as adjectives. The word crazy is so triggering to me. And now I've kind of slipped, and I say it sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, oh, that's crazy, and, like, that kind of stuff. But for a long time, I would be like, do not use that word. Because going back to my own experience of people saying, oh, you're crazy Paula's daughter and that kind of thing, like that word is extremely triggering um, when I'm when I'm in that kind of environment. So even when I was working with my clients in the residential program, they would get really mad because I would be like, they would call each other crazy or they'd be like, oh, you know, we're crazy in here, blah, blah, blah. And I would be like, do not say that word. You can, you can, you can describe one another without using that term. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of piggyback on how we have to break up that language and do our best to kind of bring up, break up kind of those stigmatizing words. But back to my brilliant mother. My mother is extremely brilliant. Before she was diagnosed, and I don't really know what kind of – my mom was diagnosed late in life. She was, she, was, it was, she was like 28 when she was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which is pretty late, which is it's actually very late. Um, but or she was diagnosed. I shouldn't say she was not diagnosed with schizophrenia initially. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And prior to that, my mom lived in California. She lived in LA. She had a beautiful home in Chino Hills. She worked for IBM. She moved, she worked for IBM. And this is like in the seventies and eighties, right? So that's what was like a big deal at, you know, then to work for IBM. Um, She moved back home after getting a divorce. And she worked for IBM here in Maryland. And so she, like, my mom was popping. Like, (laughs) from all the stories (laughs) that people tell me, literally my mom was, like, super popping. And growing up, my mom, is she's still this way. Not as much, but she's very much like, who can I describe? Think of, like, I don't know. My mom was, like, the type of person who wears a fur coat and heels to Walmart. Kind of, like, just very, like, pretty (laughs) and, like, dramatic and like you know just like beautiful like she's like once a red lipstick a fur and a heel at all times so growing up when she was doing really well she was still living you know she was still kind of find those ways to live that lifestyle um so you know she she was able to get an apartment and keep an apartment for a while and like I think the longest that I can remember like from the time I can remember she maybe maybe um maybe like a year or so she kind of was out on her own she would move back home then it was kind of like a reset process. Like, it was like, it was almost like a cycle. Like, you know, she would do really well. She would move out, get a new car, do all those kind of things, live on her own. Um, And then something would happen or trigger her, and then she would become unmedicated again. Um, And then that's when she would, like, lose her apartment or lose her car. Like, you know, so it was like this cycle that would happen kind kind of over and over again. It hasn't been until recently that she even doesn't, hasn't moved out of our our um, family home um but she always has been in that cycle so she has these like spurts of like kind of i want to say independence she's not not independent but like just kind of like out on her own doing her own thing um so she she has had that for sure you know had boyfriends and like that kind of stuff but you also have to remember she has a very severe thought disorder so that her perception of people changes and everybody doesn't is it as understanding i mean the people who her mother who raised her had a hard time, you know, <laughs> you know, who had a hard time kind of like really getting an understanding of what was going on with her. 
the child she birthed, me, like I have and still do have a hard time kind of being patient with her and that kind of stuff. Her sister has a hard time being patient with her. So like imagine being like a boyfriend or a friend or that kind of thing. So she has been able to have those moments. And at this point, what I kind of preach in my family, because now I have a different perspective based off of, like I said, based off of like, you know, focusing on mental health, like through school and through work and that kind of thing. Um, I just elaborate that her what what makes her happy is what makes her happy. And right now we have to understand that she is perfectly content how she is right now, right? And we have to stop we have to stop being the anxious one and wanting to fix her and like all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it's difficult for us, but like I said earlier, imagine what's going on in her mind. So like let her have what does bring her joy. My mom loves to shop. So I come home, we go shopping. That's how we spend our time together. It's usually a very frustrating shopping trip for me because <laughs> she does the most. But I'm just, I'm learning how to, I don't want to say live in her world, but I'm learning how to like adapt and like try my best to be a better daughter based on the circumstances that we live in and the reality that we live in. Because at this point, you know, I can't quote unquote fix her. Um, and that's something I struggle with. I want her. I want her to do well. I want her to, you know, get back on medication and do all those kind of things. But that's just not where she's at right now. So she's she's okay where she's at. It's the rest of us around her that are, like, stressed out half of the time, right? So um, just realizing that I always tell people <clears throat> generally, just in my business and everything, I the reason I use the term living your best life, whatever that means to you, it's really, like, inspired by my mom because she's living her best life. She's, I mean, it's not the absolute best version, at least from my perspective, but she's perfectly content. Like, so it's it's those kind of things that you have to keep in mind. Um, mental illness is so complex that it's, like, you have to learn, you have to almost, like, uh, learn how to navigate that that space with people. Um, like you talked about um, borderline personality disorder and that kind of stuff. You have to learn how to set boundaries because a person with borderline personality disorder might not know how to set boundaries. So you have to be the person that, do, that does it. Or, you know, there's all these different ways they, that we have to learn when we are a family member of someone who has a mental illness and try to be, our, try to be understanding, try to be compassionate. Um, that also doesn't mean you should let people you know, treat you however they want to treat you or whatever, that's, that still stands. I know with my aunt and my mom, they get into, they're like children, basically. They get into arguments like kids, and it's over please and thank you. My mom will command my aunt to do something for her, and my aunt is like, did you say please? Did you say thank you? <laughs> you know, and it's setting those boundaries with her, but it's still within the realm of like, you know, it's still in the realm of navigating this this whole this whole thing that we have going on that's a part of our family dynamic and you know um and so my aunt will say I'm just so happy she said she asked me to go do this and she said please and when I brought it back to her she said thank you and it's like those small things that people might take for granted that are like wins in my family like that's a huge win um, for my aunt whenever my mom says please and thank you so just being really really clear clear on the those kind of things yeah, when you were sharing your story about you and your mom going to the, to shopping, I was literally tearing just because, like, I think that's so beautiful how you've positioned, positioned yourself in a way where you are accommodating but adapting, I guess is the word, to still be a part of her life and what's normal for her, not trying to make her fit into what's normal for you. 
And that's a very huge piece because people usually want to, as people, we want to fix everything anyway. But when it comes to someone having that mental illness and that mental health challenge, for those challenges, the best way to put it is people usually are very, they'll start to distance themselves or like, oh, they don't really want to help that be around that family member because they're just crazy. But it's like at the end of the day, they still need to feel love and wanted despite everything that's going on that they're in, that they're experiencing. And you have, not a lot of people can do that. I know it takes a special person to do that, even if it is someone like their mom or their dad or their brother or their sister. It still takes a very special person to do that. And so as I listen to you share that, I'm like, this is not my story, but it's such it's so beautiful. And I was just sitting here like tearing, like, oh my gosh, come on, pull it together. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, and you know what, to be a hundred percent honest and transparent, it took this is still a work in progress for me. I'm trying. I I've made it a decision in my life that I want to be a better daughter to my mom, right? And it's something that's like because I struggled. I wanted to avoid her. I wanted to, you know, like I. But I had to learn to put boundaries in place. I had to one move out because there was a point in time I was living at home, back at home after you know, and back in that chaos, and I just couldn't take it. But I've had to learn to set my own boundaries and not allow her illness to overtake me, but also realize she's still my mother. And that took a lot of work, a lot of personal work, because like I said earlier, it always felt unfair to me. Like a lot of people have issues with their parents, but then they get older and they kind of work them out and they, you know, <laughs> figure things out. And I kind of have a, I'm learning, I'm I'm trying to make a conscious effort to make sure that I, I don't leave this earth or she doesn't leave this earth. And um, I feel like I never got a connection with my mother because that, that's very, um, to me, I feel like that would be very unfair. So I'm learning to navigate who she is, but also setting boundaries. So I, to be honest, I only come home like maybe once or twice a month, but I do it very intentionally. We have a plan. We know what we're going to do. Um, she doesn't always follow my plan, I'll be honest. <laughs> but it's like, learning that I I have to, I can't, I would be really upset if I lost my mother and I never took any time to try to develop some kind of relationship. It might not be the perfect relationship. It might not be, you know, what everybody else gets to have as a relationship. I struggle a lot thinking about like my wedding day, um, that kind of stuff and how that's going to be different for me than it is for other people. I lost my father. I don't, you know, I have all these different pieces that I'm just like, I have to be intentional about how I treat my relationship with my family and not try to compare it to what other people do. And I'm tearing up saying this. It's something that I try really hard. I, I never used to share this story, right? And so when I reached out to you, it was like, you know, this is probably maybe maybe the third or fourth platform that I've shared this story on, but I have to get more comfortable with my story because somebody needs to hear it, um, right? So just being able to... to that the fact that you created this platform creates a space for these conversations um also pr- creates a space for me to kind of reflect on like how am i treating treating things and like how what can i do differently she may not do anything differently but i can change how i relate to a situation so it, and it's not perfect it's it's absolutely not perfect but it's you know do the best that you can with what you have kind of situation and like not I worked with too many people, um, like I said, when I worked in residential, like I saw too many people, their families threw them away, and I was always extremely thankful, and I would tell my aunt this all the time, that we never gave up on my mom. No matter what the situation was, like 
Now, other family members have, and other families on other family members don't want anything to do with my mom, or they'll you know avoid her that kind of thing. But me, the family that grew up in this house, <laughs> we never gave up on her, even when it was really hard, and even when we were struggling with, even when we do struggle with our own emotions about it, because we do. My aunt always talks about you know she gets so frustrated and overwhelmed, and like she feels like she goes through her own depression about it and that kind of stuff, but we haven't get given up and we didn't just like put her out on the street because so many, so many clients that I had, they were just like out on the street. Their families wouldn't visit them and those kind of things. So I'm like, we might not be perfect, but you know, at least we're trying and we're doing the best that we can overall because I just saw too much of that. I, I had a client that her, she had two daughters. Nobody ever came to visit her. She would get sick and all this other stuff. And it was only staff there to help her. And I just was like, I won't let that be my mom. Now I might not I may not come every single day. I may not come every week, but I'm at least gonna make it I'm gonna at least make it my goal to spend time with my mother and make sure I go see her and make sure that we're not always arguing. <laughs> like at least most of our interactions now I've learned to like back off the argument if it is an argument or you know, trying to like control myself, like control the controllables, control my own emotions around it, control those kind of things. So and, you know, that also took some therapy and life coaching and a lot of personal development on my end to get there. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I, I'm i just so in awe of your story because it's one that is unique. And I know everyone's story is different, but your story truly just hit a very soft spot for me because I'm like, this is what I this is truly what I live for. I know that it is possible for people to have a relationship with someone who battles with a mental illness. And we really have to move away from, again, like you said, using those words that are very stigmatizing when you talk about crazy or when you talk about normal. And I always have to check myself because I always want to make sure that I'm not doing that. And because we hear it all the time, so naturally we'll start to uh, say those some of those things. But you have a story and have set it up in a way where one, you've worked on yourself so that you could have a relationship with your mother. And even again, like you said, if she doesn't change and she, but she is who she is because of her challenges, you're okay with that. And the whole comparison thing is a huge piece, especially for our age. Uh, Millennials, we kind of get into that, that comparison mindset, especially when you see social media. I think that just amplifies it and takes it to a whole nother level. And having that yearning of wanting to, like you said, your dad passed away and then you have the, you know, the challenges with your mom and then you see your family dynamic is different from what someone else's is. But that doesn't mean that just because someone is different, that theirs is normal. Because at the end of the day, is anything really normal? I had to ask myself that all the time. And you don't know what other people are dealing with because... You know, I could easily not tell this story, right? And people might see me on social media and be like, oh, she's, you know, got it all together and, like, not know that I grew up in a train wreck, basically, um, you know, or that I struggle with that. Like, I see people that are like, oh, mom goals or, like, you know, all this stuff. And that's it, – it, it triggers something in me. I struggle with that a lot. I really do. Or even, like, when it's, like, mother – 
uh, mother daughter day or something like that. I didn't have that experience. I had grandma daughter or grandma granddaughter day, um, and I lost my grandmother, and I really struggled with that. And so it's like all these different pieces that you just can't let yourself get so caught up in that. And like you don't know what other people's stories are. You don't know what's behind um, what they're talking about. People might not understand that the whole reason I started my self-care, my focus on self-care, well, one of the many reasons I started the self-care thing is because I was working in mental health and then coming home to live with my mom who had a severe mental illness, and I was burnt out. I was tired of talking to people who, uh, I was tired of talking to people who didn't understand that, like, I am burnt out. I, I'm trying to help people. I'm coming home to this situation. I'm ter- I'm torn between my friends and, like, doing stuff. Sometimes I just want to be left alone. Like, I was really burnt out. And so my self-care story really is a part of this story. And, like, you know, it's partially related to this story and that kind of thing. So, like, you never know why somebody – you never know, like, the full dynamic, especially when there's, like, a complex – like, it's a complex kind of thing. There's lots of things that go into – making people who they are, and you never really know the whole story behind them. Um, But thankfully, there's platforms like this that, you know, you can share that, you can kind of have these conversations, these dialogues that we weren't having, not even, like, I couldn't even tell you, like, I I desire (laughs) in my heart (laughs) for, I desired in my heart a long time to have a space to have these conversations. And now I feel like you know, as a black community, we're starting to have the conversation more. And I'm like, I'm going to insert myself in this conversation because, no, it's not my mental illness, but it impacted me. And it it could have very easily turned into something else for me, too. I could have very easily been the person who was depressed and anxious. And people who have parents with schizophrenia um, are more likely to have certain um, mental health disorders. I could have very easily had schizophrenia myself. Um, I was scared to turn 28 for a really long time because, well, until I turned 28, I'm almost 29 now, because I was afraid that I was going to, you know, going to have some kind of, like, psychotic break or something. You know what I mean? So there's all these different pieces <laughs> to it that we have to talk about. And we have to, like, let people know they're not alone, let people know that, you know, their story is not just because you grew up differently doesn't make make your life any less valuable or just because you don't have, you can't post pictures like mom gold or whatever the same way somebody else does, like um, that that you're any less any lesser because of it. So, yeah, I'm rambling now, so I'll just stop there. But that's, I'm I'm thankful for you having this platform. I'll put it that way. Yeah, no, you said everything that you said was so important because it pulls me a bit away from it because I was like, I can't be the only one having these struggles. I can't be the only one. Like it's statistically impossible for me to be the only person. And when you, cause you a lot of times feel so isolated. And so mm-hmm. even going back to what you were saying, like for a long time, you were scared to turn 28, which is a huge piece because on a previous episode, I talked uh, with Lauren who was homeless, who became homeless after a, uh, episode of battling with her depression and I we talked about that and I was saying that one of the reasons I I used to always think this that I was so afraid I was like I'm not having kids because I'm afraid of like giving you know my kids gonna have a mental illness and when you said that it immediately brought me back to that and so because you were saying you were afraid to turn 28 at the time and do you think about that even when it comes to you time to start a family it has that ever crossed your mind absolutely absolutely and 
my prayer is often that I'll break that I am the generational curse breaker, um, and not and I mean that in a in a couple of ways because you know my grandmother was raised by her grandmother and then my grandmother raised me and so there's like this kind of like generational thing, um, and it's for different reasons, but it's still a generational thing. So I always pray over my future children, over my future family, um, and that because I do believe in the power of prayer. Now mm-hmm. on top of that, I believe power of therapy and I believe in the power of, you know, well being and wellness, that too. But I believe strongly in the power of prayer and I pray all the time that I'll be that I am the generational curse break breaker in my family. Mental illness, my mom's not the only person in my family, well, of her siblings that has a mental illness. And I know that. I know that for a fact. She's not um um she has other siblings that have been diagnosed or haven't been diagnosed that or it's kind of obvious <laughs> that there's something going on. So I just pray all the time that I'm a generational curse breaker um, and that that wellness will run in my fa- family. And so I pray over that, but I also recognize that even if God says that's not what I have for you and your family yet, then I recognize that I can't live my life in fear of that. Like I can't like Ooh. not have a family so afraid that this, you know, this very severe illness might get passed down or something like that. Like, I can't live my life in that kind of fear. So I definitely do think about it. I I, up in, I didn't start thinking about that until I turned 28, and I was like, okay, well, I haven't had a psychotic break yet, so I think I might be okay. Thank you for sharing that. And before we go, I wanted to know, we have to end on a light note because this has been a very tough topic. What are your plans and what's next for Where Do You Dream? And what's next for Tish? Because we, I wanted to, for people to know more about you, because I know you're a millennial life coach and how you work with millennials. And you also mentioned previously that live your best life for your tagline for your business that, that was inspired by your mom. So can you share some a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what's next for me? I'm actually really excited about life right now. Um, So I know this conversation is heavy, but to be honest, every experience that I've ever had in my life has led me to the point that I'm at and a lot of self-reflection and a lot of wisdom. I think because I grew up the way that I did, I grew up being very wise beyond my years, and I'm thankful for that, right? Um, But so what's next for me is – really focusing a lot heavier on um, helping people to live their best life and doing that in a, in a multitude of ways. So I created the Dream Chasers Journal, which is a 90-day self-care guide, and that is just really to help people check in with themselves every single day. Um, a lot of us are dream chasers and go-getters, but we don't take the time to really check in with ourselves, acknowledge our wins for the day, um, acknowledge what we're thankful for, um, and do those kind of things on a day-to-day break basis. So I created the Dream Chasers Journal for that. Um, it also has space in there for you to do kind of a self-evaluation of your self-care now. Like, are you overwhelming yourself professionally or mentally or emotionally or financially or physically and all those different kind of ways? Um, and really taking some time to create a self-care plan for yourself. Definitely have that, the Dream Chasers Journal, that's available on Amazon, 
let's see what else do I have coming up. I'll be launching this spring, I guess it'll be spring by then, uh, this spring, a group coaching program. So I'm really excited to make more of an impact. I definitely want to impact more lives. I'm helping more people live their best life, whatever that means to them, um, but really helping people with that transformation. Um, I focus a lot on self-care, but I believe self-care is is the foundation of transformation um, and finding your your best life. So I have a lot of things coming up that I'll be launching. People can find me on social media. It's just at Letitia.car on Instagram and Letitia Carr on Twitter and Facebook and all that jazz. So um, I'm around. I'll be sharing more. I'll be doing um, more events. I do self-care in the city, um, which is an event I created to um, help dream chasers, again, focus on their self-care and well-being. Um, and also I'll be bringing back State of Our 20s this year, which is something I created um, because I recognize that there was a gap in what we're learning in school um, that doesn't necessarily correlate into our lives. So I created that so that us 20-somethings can live our best life. And because I'm coming into the last year of my 20s, that is definitely something I'm going to be bringing back this year. So just I would just say stay tuned. I have a lot of stuff coming up. And um, make sure you check out the Dream Chasers Journal. Thank you so much, Tish. It was truly a pleasure having you on the podcast. And I'm sure you all enjoyed hearing her very powerful and unique story. I was really tearing y'all interviewing her. But I'm sure that you got something out of it and that you learned something new about the mental illness of schizophrenia and that we're very mindful of how we treat those who are impacted by mental illness. Okay, so for this week's therapist shout out goes to Natalie Ambrose. She's based in Harahan, Louisiana, and she works with individuals, couples, and families and specializes in therapy for depression and anxiety. She does premarital counseling, couples counseling, family counseling. She also offers parenting support, grief counseling, as well as work and career issues. She helps you with stress management, addiction and recovery, and even conflict resolution. And she offers um, psychoeducation group. And so I really hope that, that you guys are really being encouraged to get the help that you need in going to therapy. I strongly advocate for therapy. And I also say that it's not just for people with mental illness. It really helps you with self-awareness and identifying your patterns and really healing and simply living the best life that you can possibly live. If you guys don't get nothing else from the podcast, I really hope that you're being encouraged to seek treatment because at the end of the day, you don't want to go through life being miserable. And I know how it can be to be in a very dark place. And I know the benefits that I've gotten from therapy. So again, if you are in the Harahan, Louisiana area, please check out Natalie Ambrose. Okay, so for this week's Mind, Body, and Soulness segment, I am going to talk about something that I actually recently wrote a blog article on. And I really wanted to talk about the power of our words. And I know we hear it all the time, especially people who are Christians, they may hear it in church, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And being careful about the things that we say because we draw that energy to us. And then also when it comes to mental illness, I really want us to be mindful about 
our word choice because a lot of us will use mental illnesses as adjectives. And I know that people's heart is in the right place and in most cases is really pure and they don't mean anything by it, but they don't realize that someone who actually struggles with that particular illness that you're using as an adjective is really insensitive and it prevents people from getting treatment. And then it also just perpetuates the stigma. It just keeps it going. And so I reached out to a group of people who deal with mental illness, and I asked them to send me some things that people have said to them when they described a mental illness as an adjective, and I asked them, how did it make them feel? And so here's some examples of what people said to me. So one of them was, I'm OCD about keeping my house clean, and I hear a lot of people say that. Another one is, I'm so bi- I'm being so bipolar about making this decision or lying about rape is so psychotic or better yet the weather is acting bipolar. Oh yeah, yesterday I was feeling depressed. Everyone feels anxious. Everyone is a little OCD. I didn't know that fat people could be bulimic. Everyone is a little bipolar. I'm OCD about keeping my clothes a certain way. It's just it just goes on and on. And the thing is it To someone who's struggling with that on a day-to-day basis, another thing that it does, it minimizes, it diminishes how, it diminishes how the person, it simply diminishes the mental illness. It makes it seem like it's not that big of a deal. When in fact, to that person, it really is because it's an everyday struggle and we use it so, I guess, passively. We use it so senseless, like it's not a big thing. And to people who are dealing with it, when I ask them, how did it, how does it make them feel? Here's some of the things that they said. They said, this makes me feel frustrated that people don't take the time to educate themselves on the mental health conditions they are comparing their behaviors to. Every statement that minimizes mental illness continues the stigma. Again, that's so true. Another person said that when the person described an experience to my diagnosis, it really hurt since I deal with actual psychosis. Another person said, I get angry when people refer to depression as simply sad. They automatically assume I am sad without understanding the complexity of depression as an illness. Or for generalized anxiety disorder, they said, yes, everyone feels anxious and is completely a part of the human experience. But what many fail to realize is that people with generalized anxiety disorder are paralyzed by the illness I can't stop thinking, and my medication helps me with that. Another person said that it contributes to my illness because I constantly have to defend myself. It goes to show how ignorant people are about mental illness. They think bulimia and anorexia are the same thing. And so I really wanted to talk to you guys about that. And like I said, I believe people's hearts are pure. I don't, at least in my experience, or the people in my circle, I can say that, but I can't say that for every single person because some people may say it to be uh, mean and hurtful and spiteful to someone else. But I just want to encourage us to be mindful about our word choice. And I've been guilty of saying this too uh, before my diagnosis. Like I said, I thought therapy was just for quote unquote crazy people or um, medication for mental illness was just for quote unquote crazy people. 
Um, I thought that it just was limited to people who heard voices and people who talked to themselves. That's because those were things that I heard that I heard about mental health and mental illness growing up. And so I had no previous knowledge. And so that's why I do my best to just practice grace and patience and understanding with people. Um, but when I hear those words, they do some, they do make me angry. They do make me upset because my circle is expanding and I have more people in my life who battle with mental illness. And I'm actually grateful to have those people because for once, I don't have to explain what it's like to battle with a mental illness because they already get it. I don't have to do a depression one-on-one, but I know that people need to be educated on, which is why I started the podcast. But I really want to encourage us because we have to be careful the things that we say because we never know how it will impact someone. And We could be the one to set someone over the edge. You don't know where a person is in their mental space. And you saying something could set them off to suicide or uh, triggering their anxiety. We just don't know. And so I just want to come and just give you guys some education and some knowledge and just encourage you to simply be careful about the things that you say. And I really hope that hearing this will help someone. Okay, y'all, so that wraps up another episode of the Fireflies Unite podcast with me, Kia. Y'all, I'm having so fun doing this podcast. It is truly a blessing. It really is. I want to thank every single person who donated to the This Is My Brave fundraiser for the show that I'm participating in on March 18th in Arlington, Virginia, where I'll share my story with surviving suicide and living with generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder. I am so grateful for every single person who donated. My goal was to raise $500 and I raised, I believe right now, $585. And so I'm so close to $600, which I believe I will uh, reach 600 by the time of the show. But I'm appreciative because you don't have to donate your money. You could have spent that money on anything else. And just know that I do not take it for granted at all. I'm so humble and I'm so appreciative that even complete strangers have donated to me. People who I've connected with on social media and they believe in me. They see what I'm doing. They um, like the mission and they see that my heart is pure. And I'm so appreciative. So thank you so much. I look forward to meeting some of you on March 18th. Some of you have messaged me and commented and said you got your tickets. I'm so excited because I get to meet people who I've interviewed on the podcast or people that I've connected with on social media. And I'm just really excited about that. Also, I have an event. I have what I'm going to do is post my events in the show notes because that will help you all because I have about five speaking engagements coming up the month of March and it is going to be a little hectic for me and so I have to make sure that I'm taking care of myself so that I don't burn out Um, and so I will be sure to share all of that information with you all Um, there's an event that's on March 24th and the event is free 
it's the Still I Rise, uh, it's their one year anniversary and it's actual a panel discussion. It's, it's, also, it's in um, Washington DC and all you have to do is register for it on Eventbrite. Um, again, it's free. So feel free to come out to that event. Um, I will also be sharing my story at the NBC4 Health and Fitness Expo. And that is May, I'm sorry, not May. That is March 10th. Y'all, these dates, I'm telling y'all, it's a struggle. That is March 10th at 1 o'clock. And it's at the Convention Center in Washington, D.C. And that is also free to the public. So anyone who wants to come to that event, you can come to that as well. And so, again, thank you all so much. Y'all know that I am always sending y'all positive energy. I'm sending you light and love. I pray that you all have a blessed week. Shoot me an email and let me know how you guys are doing. Let me know if there's anything that you want me to cover. I'll talk to you next week. I hope that you obtain tools and resources from the Fireflies Unite podcast to help you manage your mental health. But please do not use it as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist or psychiatrist. Let's continue the conversation by following me on Fireflies Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.